0: This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined us today. Why don't you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, some days you're excited to uh, interview a particular guest. Other days you're fired up about the topic and some days you get the gift of both and such is the case today. Today I get a chance to talk to somebody I deeply admire about a subject that we should all be concerned about. It's truth. Truth seems to be under threat today and that is not abnormal as we chronicle human history. The fact is, is that in every generation, truth seems to be all too elusive and lies seem to be all too prevalent. But what is the power of a lie? when repeated, when believed. How can lies change lives? I got a good friend who says that ideas have consequences, but bad ideas have victims. And certainly it is the case uh, that lies when believed by the masses have victims. And this has been the case throughout human history. And that's why I'm so impressed with the book. The newest book by author Mitch Albom, it's called The Little Liar. It's about lies, truth, and the Holocaust. A little bit about Mitch. Mitch is an internationally renowned and best-selling author. He's a journalist, a screenwriter, playwright, radio, television broadcaster, and a mu- musician, not a magician, a musician. Uh, his books have collectively sold over 41 million copies worldwide. He has work, uh, charities uh, throughout the uh, metro Detroit area in Haiti uh, that range from health care to housing and education. He's impacted the lives of many through his writings and through his charitable work. And I'm so grateful that he's on with us today. Hey, Mitch, how are you?
1: Chris, it's great to be with you. I wish I was a magician. That would be a great... (laughs) 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 never had that skill
0: listen before we get into the book listen as a fellow detroiter how did we lose that game mitch i feel like i've been in group therapy for the last 48 hours there were friends of mine who were already booking their flights at halftime to vegas to go to the super bowl we were so close
1: we were so close but uh Sometimes you got to walk before you run. And we were playing a team that's been there a million times. And we didn't play the second half and they did. And they won by three. And uh, I know I was there. I was at the game. I was in San Francisco. Oh, man. And it was uh, the difference between the people in the parking lot when I was walking in. All the Detroiters (laughs) who were there wanting to take selfies and saying, well, this is our year. And then. That yes. night when I flew home on the red eye they were all and they were all on the red eye <laughs> in their chairs and holding their heads and how could that happen oh. but that's the beauty of sports you know and that's uh, it. somebody wins somebody loses Well
0: yeah. you know what's really funny is I've had friends outside of the region ask me you know how are you guys responding and I said this it was the quietest night I grew up in Detroit it was the quietest night in Detroit history, in my opinion. <laughs> I, after that <laughs> happened, there was nothing to be said. Even the next day, yeah. as you kind of walked the streets, people just stared at each other. We're still recovering. Yeah. But I will just simply say this, then we'll move on. If you were have told me at the beginning of this season that the uh, the uh, Lions would come within a few points of going to the Super Bowl, I would have took it. So uh, right. good, good right. season overall. Good season overall. That's the way you got to look at it, yeah. Listen, uh, uh, this book that you've written is is really, really powerful. Many people will know you for your book, Tuesdays with Maury, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and obviously the impact of that book has been profound now for over 25 years. That's hard to believe, but over 25 years. Now you've written this new book, uh, The Little Liar. Give us an overview of this book and why it's important to you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, it's a book about truth, lies, forgiveness and hope. And the story revolves around an 11-year-old boy during World War II who lives in Greece and is in love with this 12-year-old girl. And when the Nazis invade his village, they find out that he has a reputation for never telling a lie. His whole 11 years on Earth, he's never told a lie. His name is Nico. And so they decide to use him as a weapon, and they kidnap him away from his family. And they say that you can go back to your family In a couple of weeks, you just have to do us a little favor. You have to stand on these railroad tracks, and every day people are going to be coming and they're going to be confused. And you just have to go up and down and tell them that the trains are going to new jobs and new homes and everything's going to be good. And then you can go back to your family. So thinking that he's telling the truth because he's never not told the truth, he does this every day. uh, And because people know him as this kid who's never told a lie, they trust him and they get in the trains, and it's only – On the very last day that he sees his family and this little girl who's in love with him uh, being shoved into these boxcars, and he finds out that these trains are actually going to the concentration camps. Mm. And then to make it worse, the the Nazi who tricked him doesn't let him get on the train, so his family and everybody that he knows is taken away, and he's left behind. And the book follows what happens to him from that day forward for the next 40 years, what happens to him, what happens to the girl that he loved, what happens to his brother who gets sent to the concentration camp, and what happens to the Nazi, the effects of that one lie on all of their lives for the next 40 years. And it's a parable about you know the price that we pay when,
0: when truth is abused. You know, this weekend, the world reflected and remembered in International Holocaust Remembrance Day, the Holocaust, and uh, as, I, as I think about your book, you say in your book that the Nazis didn't have bigger guns, they just had bigger lies. What do you mean by that?
1: All right. Well, uh, anybody can have guns, but when you manage to fool your own people by blaming you know, the troubles of your country on the Jews, uh, which is what Hitler did, and then you get them not only to cooperate with you to do things that are horrific that they know are wrong, that you, they know you shouldn't do to other people, but when you denigrate another group enough to make them feel subhuman and make people believe that they're causing you problems, then you can take their homes, take their businesses, put them in ghettos, put them on trains, get rid of them, You know, think that you're sending them to work camps, which is another lie that the, the Nazis told. When they, they weren't work camps, they were, they were slaughterhouses where people were systematically murdered in, 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 in gas chambers and then their bodies burned in crematoriums. Six million Jews and millions of others, including many Christians, particularly Catholics. In fact, the Dachau concentration camp had a separate wing for, uh, just for Christian clergymen. Mm-hmm. And the Nazis even signed an agreement with the Catholic Church back in the 30s, saying, oh, we won't interfere, you know, if you, you you don't bother us, we won't bother you, we won't interfere with matters of the Church, when in truth, they had plans, Chris, yeah, uh, yeah. that have been uncovered, that they were going to replace every church uh, in Europe, or oh, the Bible was to cease publication, uh, and it was to be replaced in the churches with a copy of Hitler's biography, autobiography, Mein Kampf, and all the crosses were to be replaced with swastikas. Meanwhile, they were telling them, oh, we're not going to do anything. So the lies that that were perpetrated during that period of time were, were impossible to list. There are so many of them. But that's why they were able to get away with so much of what they did. As Joseph Goebbels said, a lie told once is easily seen as a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. And that's what they did. They told the same lies a thousand times.
0: You, you know, as I listen to you, one of the things that I'm amazed by is how history repeats itself. And it seems like humanity so often does not learn from the past. And though for some the Holocaust may feel like it was uh, uh, ancient history, the, tr- the truth of the matter is, is that it's not. And yet we live in a day and age in which the Oxford Dictionaries in uh, 2016 coined uh, the, the term of the year For them was post-truth. We live in a post-truth culture. How is it that you, Mitch, maintain hope in that type of environment? Because you've been called by some critics and fans the king of hope. How do you maintain (laughs) hope in the midst of all of this?
1: Well... First of all, I'm okay with that as a criticism because I think that that's not a bad throne to get stuck on, you know, King of Hope. It was a a critic who came up with that. You know, he was making fun of me, and he said, ah, he's just a King of Hope. And I said, well, okay, that's not so bad. No, that's not bad. Uh, But how do you hang on to Hope? Well, you know, I look at people who endured that period of time, many of whom I interviewed in, in research for the book, even though the book's a fiction You know, I did a lot of of real research for it to get a feel of what it was like to be in those camps and live through that time. And the hope that they maintained in in light of a situation even worse than anybody can think of today was remarkable. There's a scene that I created as a result of that in the concentration camps where the family of this boy, who's all been sent off to the concentration camps, at night they gather together in the barracks And the grandfather insists that every one of them, whispering so they can't be heard by the guards, every one of them say one thing that happened that day that they're grateful to God for. And you can say to yourself, well, how could there be anything in a a life as a prisoner in a concentration camp that you would have anything to say to be grateful for? So one of them says, well, tonight I got an extra spoonful of soup. Or one says, uh, my rotted tooth fell out. One says, the guard that always beats me had off today so I didn't get beaten. But one says, I saw a bird and I was inspired. And it, that search for hope, Chris, that human quality that wants us to believe that no matter how bad today was, tomorrow can possibly be better, that is the spark of faith, divinity and, and humanity inside every human person. It's something that animals don't necessarily have, you know, that they have instincts we have hope and as long as we have hope things can get better and i i honestly believe that to my core and i believe that's what god wants us to believe too
0: you were born to a jewish family and uh you, you i've heard you describe those jewish families when you were a kid Jew, jewish men and women who wore long sleeves what did that mean yeah. what did that represent
1: i was Five, six years old, I remember when I first became aware of these people in my neighborhood who wore long sleeves in the summertime. And I asked my mother once, why are they dressed like that, so hot outside? And she said, well, they have numbers tattooed on their arms and they don't want people to see them. And I said, well, why don't they want people to see them? And she said, well, I'll tell you when you're older. you know." And, mm. I, of course, I got to be older and I found out that those were the numbers that were tattooed by Nazi guards on their risks that they can never get rid of and now sadly Chris a lot of those people most of those people are gone and Mm. they're not here to tell their story and uh, we've evolved now into a society where I just read a, a survey that was done in late last year where one in five young people in America think the holocaust was a myth Wow. One in five wow. young wow. people think the Holocaust was a myth, and yet 0% of people over 65 yeah. think that it's yeah. a myth. So what yeah. does that tell you? That as history is passing and as the years are passing, the horrors of it are, are disappearing, uh, and that can't be allowed to happen because if we go from one in five to next generation one in three to next generation you know, one of one, it will happen again. And it might not be against Jewish people. You know, it, it, yeah. there's no guarantee that it's just going to be that. It could be against anybody. When you persecute people simply because of their religion, that's a, that's a, that's an act that can repeat itself again in history very easily.
0: There are four characters in this uh, phenomenal book: Nico, Sebastian, Fanny, and Udo. We're going to talk about each of them and how, in many ways, they personify each of us and how we can relate to this saga that reminds us of the Holocaust, but reminds us all more importantly, how important truth is. We're going to take a short break. You know, Mitch calls truth uh, the uh, really most important virtue. Uh, The book says that truth is a shadow you cannot outrun. It's the mirror that holds your final reflection we're going to talk about that and much more i want to encourage you go to our website there you can find ordering information for mitch album's most recent book the little liar it's a novel about lies truth and the holocaust i encourage you to get it because it will impact you in a tremendous way we got so much more to come don't go anywhere much more next up on equip with chris brooks the Bible is essential for a vibrant life in Christ. I want to equip you to live each day grounded in God's Word. That's why I've chosen the book Memorizing Scripture by Glenna Marshall as our impact gift this month. Discover memorization techniques that work for you and learn how to truly meditate on God's Word every day. This book can be yours with a gift of any amount. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit us at equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equipment with Chris Brooks, talking to Mitch Albom about his newest book, The Little Liar, that uh, centers around the life of a young boy who encounters a lie that changes his life and the life of many, and the power and the quest of truth and forgiveness. The book is not narrated, though, Mitch, by Nico, the young 11-year-old boy who were used uh, by the Nazis to really trick uh people in his community it's it's narrated by the truth talk about that approach how'd you come to that approach and why did you take that approach
1: well chris the most important thing when you write a book after you decide kind of what the story is going to be is the voice that you're going to tell it in. you know think of if catcher in the rye had been told in the third person instead of the first person. It never would be as effective, you know. You, yeah. you knew that guy because of his voice. Well, I tried to determine, well, what would be the best way to tell this story? The first person, I thought, well, you know, that's, that's a little preachy uh, because I knew I was going to talk a lot about the impact of lies and truth. Third person felt like it wouldn't be impactful enough. It would just be, this is what happened. And then I said, well, what if we have what's called a benevolent narrator? Uh, The truth itself actually tells the story. And so as you sort of hinted at it just before you went to break, the, the book basically begins with, you know, you can trust the story you're about to hear. You can trust it because I am the only thing in this world you can trust. I'm the shadow you can't outrun, the mirror that holds your final reflection. I am truth. And this is a story about a boy who tried to break me. And it, it, you know, when I read that, when I wrote it, I said, "Yeah, I, I might like to read a book that starts like that." So, so <laughs> I, I felt that I had the right voice, and then because truth was able to narrate the story, it was able to talk about that terrible period of time uh, during the '30s and '40s when it was abused, and it can say, "Why did you treat me like this? You know, I'm a virtue. I'm one of God's virtues." you know, why, why are you crushing me? You know, and, and this is what you humans do. And you, you, you pick a piece of truth here and a piece of truth there. And then you just uh, decide that's what your world is going to be. And that's not who I am. And, and being able to sort of write from that was very freeing, you know, and was able to sort of look at what happened over the 40 years to those four characters from a very kind of 30,000 foot point of view, you know, in terms of how the truth played into their lives. Sure. So it turned out to be a really good narrator.
0: How do you relate to Nico as you, as you think about him and uh, how he was used, how it impacted his, his life, um, the downward spiral from there? How do you relate?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a really good question, Chris, and no one's ever asked me that. Uh, you know, Nico was a victim. He was tricked by this Nazi guard into telling the first lie of his life, which turns out to be the worst lie of his life. And then he lost his family and everybody that he loved. And he spends the rest of his life trying to be forgiven, but he feels so guilty that he actually, the attribute that God gave him, which was to never tell a lie, to be the most honest person you know, in his village, he loses it and he no longer can tell the truth. It won't come out of his mouth anymore. And like Pinocchio, you know, uh, the opposite, you know, Pinocchio's nose grew all the time. Well, for Nico, he just can't speak the truth. And so mm-hmm. he starts to lie and he lies and he lies and he lies and he starts changing his name and changing his identity. He tries to get to the concentration camp where his family is by lying and by making up phony documents and phony and uh, phony passports. And and, and and this becomes who he is for the rest of his life. He becomes kind of a pathological liar, keeps changing identities, changing names, changing locations, uh, all because he's, he can't deal with the guilt of what he's done. And I think all of us, in some way, myself included, can relate to things that we end up doing wrong because yeah. we can't face what we didn't do right, you know, yeah. and, and, and and so we take on, you know, we, we get worse. Uh, and yet yeah. all the time what he really wants, the only thing he wants, Chris, is to be forgiven. And forgiveness ends up being probably even an even bigger theme in the book than the lying part of it, because it shows what he does to try to be forgiven over the course of the next 40 years.
0: I want to get to Fanny. I want to get to forgiveness in a moment, but I got to talk about Sebastian for a minute. Um, Probably without a doubt, the most dark, the darkest um, personal moment of my life for me and my wife was the death of our oldest son. And um, this took place um, in Detroit, and there were so many, just just so many painful things around it, surrounding it. And I got to be honest with you, um, in the aftermath of that, forgiveness is a hard thing. There's, I read my Bible often, and there's passages even now that um, arouse anger and frustration, not that I disagree with the truth of Scripture, but that the application of it is so hard. Things like right. forg- forgiveness. Talk about mm-hmm. Sebastian, because I feel like I can relate to his anger, his bitterness, and how he felt in the aftermath of the lie his brother told. Right.
1: So Sebastian is Nico's older brother, not as cute, not as good-looking, not as beloved, and not as honest. Uh, but a good soul and Sebastian is in love with the little girl Fanny who's in love with Nico. So even as little kids, they have that little thing going on. And then when Nico tells this lie uh, and the families are shoved into the box cars, Sebastian and his family uh, are sent away. Uh, and in fact, uh, Fanny's in the, in the train car with them and they're all sent off to the concentration camps. and Sebastian uh Organized as a way to get Fanny uh, out of the train. Uh, I won't go into a whole thing, but uh, somebody rips a, rips the grate off the window, and he he volunteers her to be thrown out the window, and and say literally saves her life by getting her thrown out the window of this train car before the Nazis discover what they did. But he himself is sent to a concentration camp, and all the suffering he endures uh, over and over again, he blames on his brother, and he yeah, says he must yeah. have been working with the Nazis. And that's why we're here. And even though his father and his grandfather say it wasn't his fault, that he couldn't have known, he's not a liar. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He worked with the Nazis. And when he survives the concentration camp, he sets out to try to find his brother and bring him to justice, believing that he's a war criminal. He becomes a Nazi hunter, essentially. And so his whole life is, as you said, seeking, you know, revenge and not forgiveness. His heart is hardened. Uh, and doesn't want to forgive. And that's the opposite side of, you know, uh, forgiveness. I mean, people who don't want to, and I, I deliberately created a character like that because I wanted to show, well, here's what you have to, here's who you have to try to break down, just as you had yes. to be broken down when you're grief. Here's what you, here's your, here's your oak tree that you have to try to chop down with yes. kindness and forgiveness. Let's see if it can happen.
0: Well, you know, I think about the story of the prodigal son. Arguably, Jesus is, most famous story and here. I find myself identifying both with the prodigal son, as well as the older brother in that story. Mm -hmm. I think in similar fashion, I find myself identifying with Nico and Sebastian and, um, and, and not able to judge either because I can see myself in both. We got about a minute or two before we go to break, talk to us about Fanny and how important she is to forgiveness.
1: So Fanny, who was always in love with Nico, uh, doesn't believe that he did it on purpose. And she survives uh, as a result of being thrown out of that window. And there's a lot of, you know, she's taken in by strangers, and she suffers a great deal herself. She's almost killed. And Nico, at one point, who is pretending to be uh, a Nazi, you know, guard, uh, actually encounters her for a brief moment and helps save her life. And she never forgets it, even though she never spoke to him. And she spends her whole life trying to find him, not to punish him, which is what Sebastian wants to do. But she spends her whole life trying to find him to forgive him. And she pursues him for decades. And, of course, he's changed his name. He's changed his identity. He's moved to different countries. And she finally catches up with him, although she's not sure it's him. And, you know, I don't want to ruin it, but, uh, you know, the opportunity to forgive uh, arises. And it's important to remember with forgiveness, Chris, that the need to be forgiven is equaled by the need that we actually have to forgive. People don't think that. They always think, oh, the only, with forgiveness, it's only the person who wants to be forgiven. No, deep inside, we all actually yes. want to forgive the people who have hurt us mm-hmm. somehow, because we don't want to retain that anger. We don't want to yes. be bitter, but we don't know yes. how to do it, and she has to find that place.
0: For every one of us, we can identify, I think, deeply with these figures, with these characters, because this is us. Maybe you can identify what it means to be Nico and to feel used, to uh, feel that somehow you can make up for a lie through lies. I think this book will speak to your heart. Maybe, like Sebastian, you know what it's like to carry with you anger and bitterness and the quest for revenge. Or maybe, like Fanny, you have sought forgiveness and desire to forgive others. This book speaks to all of our hearts. So I want you to go to our website as we take yet another break. Go to equipradio.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Find out more about the program by going to our website, equipradio.org. There you can listen to all of our previous interviews as well as support the program. I want to say thanks to those of you who have been financially supporting the program. It's your generosity that allows us to be here every day to fulfill our mission of equipping Christians to more effectively live, share, defend their faith. And I want to encourage you to stand with us. We are about $1,300 away from our goal. That is uh, absolutely achievable for our budgetary goal for this month. It just means about 13 friends giving a gift of $100. But whatever you can give today, I would encourage you to do so. On the other side of your gift, know that you're making an impact forever and for eternity. Why don't you call this number, 888-644-4144. That's 888-644. 644-4144 644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. Thanks to a few folks. Thanks to uh, Marlene from North Carolina. Thanks to Paula from Illinois. Thanks to Gail from Mississippi, Alberto from Florida, so many more. So grateful for you and your support of the program and you listening every day. Again, go to our website, EquipRadio.org. Mitch Album is my guest. We've been talking about his newest book, the Little Liar. It's a novel about lies, truth, and the Holocaust. I highly encourage you to get a copy. Uh, it seems to me, though, that every book that you've written, in some ways, brings me back to Tuesdays with Maury. Is that is that just me, or is there a connection, Mitch?
1: It's not just you. Uh, it's it's true, and it's probably a bit intentional, I guess. You know, I I've had a kind of weird life, Chris, and. You know a little bit about it because we're both from Detroit. For the first half of my working life, I just was a sports writer. I never, I never did anything outside of the world of sports. I, you know, wrote sports and broadcasted sports. Was on ESPN talking about sports, and then I wrote this book called Tuesdays with Maury, and I just did it to pay his medical bills. You know, Maury was an old college professor of mine, who I had been very close with back in the seventies when I went to college, and then I lost track of him. While I was busy pursuing my own ambition and my own, you know, celebrity and all my own money and all that kind of stuff, really didn't concern myself with much else. And then I found out he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease when I happened to see him on the Nightline program talking to Ted Koppel. And that was the only way I found out that he was sick. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of was ashamed that I had lost touch for 16 years. And I went to see him, what I thought would be a one time visit. And I was so taken with how calm he was about his dying and how content he was with the life that he had led and the, and the things that he said he was learning as he was dying that, you know, I realized he was 78 and dying and I was 37 and perfectly healthy. And he was 10 times happier with his life than I was. So I started Uh to go back. I went the next Tuesday and the next Tuesday and the next Tuesday and all the Tuesdays he had left in his life. And we ended up doing this sort of last class together in what's important in life. Once you really recognize you're going to die and wouldn't you like to know what that was now when you're young enough and healthy enough to do something about it? So every yeah. week, every week we discussed a different topic, you know, marriage, family, culture, money, whatever, forgiveness. And, and, and so after the book came out, even though it was supposed to be a tiny little book uh, that I wrote just to pay his medical bills. And we, we got turned down by pretty much every publisher we went to, we only found one publisher was willing to do it. Um, <laughs> after that, my life changed completely. And, you know, instead of talking about sports, people would stop me and say, my mother died of cancer. And the last thing we did was read Tuesdays with Maury together. Can I talk to you about her? And when that Mm. happens, as you know, you know, quite well in your in your line of work, when you start hearing people's misery, day in and day out, you hear their grief, you hear their hearts day in, day out, your world changes. And you become more sensitive to it yourself. And, and so I started writing books that were in that genre i've never written a sports book since and um and so all of my books i say sort of are like branches on a tree that go back to tuesdays with maury and and the little liar is no exception you know it contains a number of lessons particularly in the area of forgiveness that uh, i learned sitting alongside maury you know while he was dying
0: you know it's interesting because uh last year i went through similar experiences about a year and a half ago now that uh, one of my former college professors who actually came to work alongside of me here at my local church uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer. His name was John. And uh, John was one of those unique people, and I don't know if I've ever experienced this before, and it sounds like this is true for for Maury as well. Um, He became kinder, more gracious, more gentler, as his yep. cancer progressed, and I used to say to him, like, John, that is the absolute opposite of everybody that I've ever met. Typically, as life seems to hit harder, we get more bitter, uh, and And I think that that was what blessed me most about John, and I think about him often, almost daily. I wonder with you and Maury, out of all the lessons that he taught you, what's the most uh, lingering, the one that comes yeah. back again and again to you?
1: Well, it's the one that that has informed the rest of my life from that time when I was with him at age 37, uh, and it's very much like what you just hinted at. I would watch people go in to see Maury other than me, and frequently they would try to, like, uh, put on a happy face, you know, bring photos, things like that. So I'm going to cheer him up. I know he's dying. I'm not going to bring up anything negative. I'm not going to talk about it to anything. <laughs> And they would go into his office, the door would close, and they'd come out an hour later in tears. But they would be crying about like their job, their love life, their divorce, their whatever. And they would say, Well, I don't know what happened. I went and I tried to start cheering him up, but after a few minutes he, he started asking me questions about my life. So I started talking. Then he started really <laughs> asking me questions. So I started then he really asked me. Next thing I know I was bawling and, you know, I tried to cheer up, but he he ended up cheering me up. So I went into Maury and I said to him, I don't understand. You're the one who's dying. Why don't you just say, you know, let's not talk about your problems. Let's talk about my problem. And he looked at me as if I were being very naive. And he said, Mitch, why would I ever take from people like that? Taking just makes me feel like I'm dying. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. And I have never forgotten that. That's a profound little sentence. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. Wow. It's also, it also rhymes, so it's easy to remember. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I think that that's what might have happened with your friend, John, is that you, you start clinging to life through the kindness that you can give to others. And it does make you feel alive when you make someone else feel better, when you give something of yourself to somebody. And I have, it's informed all my charity work. I think you know I operate an orphanage in Haiti yes, that I go yes. to every month of my life for, for the last 14 years. Uh, and I will tell you that when I'm there in the second poorest country in the world with kids who have been found in little mud holes and, and abandoned, left, in, uh, left under trees to die, uh, left in malnutrition centers, and no one ever picked them up. And, and we're able to bring them into this orphanage and give them food and love and nourishment and faith. I feel more alive then, and I get nothing you know, from it. There's no money. There's no attention. There's no anything. Nobody even knows I'm there, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it makes me feel so alive. And I always say to myself, this is what Maury was talking about. Giving is living. And it's, it's crazy that we spend so much of our lives taking when it would be so easy taking and complaining about it. Like, how come I don't feel better? How come I'm not happier? you know, how come, you know, I finally got that job I wanted. And I'm still not happy. I finally got the money. I bought that car and I'm still not happy. And right in front of us is the key to feeling so much better, and we don't do it. We don't give as much as we can.
0: A new slogan for life, giving is living. I love that. I love that so much. You also mentioned, and just one final question about Maury, you also mentioned you learn a lot about forgiveness from him. What is the lasting message that he taught you about forgiveness?
1: Forgive everyone, everything, everything. And then forgive yourself for all the times you beat yourself up. I wasn't this. I should have done this, that. He said, because when you get to where I am, and you will get to where I am, you're going to wish that you would been nicer to yourself. And those arguments that you had or the disagreements that you had with those people that you didn't want to forgive, they're not going to mean anything to you. And uh, all that you will wish is that you made peace with them so that you are at peace yourself. Forgive everyone, everything, and then forgive yourself. And I, I can almost recite that verbatim because I I have listened to the tapes of that conversation so many times in my life. Um, and he's right. You know, it, it's a little different, John. I want to add the caveat that you know, if someone has harmed a loved one of yours or or done something to you personally that is awful, a stranger or someone that you don't understand why they did it, that's a little different than trying to forgive. Sure your brother or your sister or your grandmother or your 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 best friend for something that they did that hurt your feelings, you know, or you had an argument or whatever. And, and I, I sure. want to recognize that. But anyone that you care about or you love, forgive them everything.
0: Yeah. In the end, it's not worth it. And, uh, and you mentioned about the weight, really the burden of unforgiveness. And I think we've all experienced that weight. I think we've all experienced to greater or lesser degrees. And certainly, I'm grateful for you being sensitive to the variations of the pain that people carry. But I think the principle that Maury taught you is absolutely true. Do the kids in in Haiti know that you're writing books? Do they uh, get a chance to read them at all? (laughs) You
1: know, we don't have television. We don't have internet. We don't have phones. We don't have computers. So the only thing they do do is read. And they mm. love to read, and I have found that they are actually pretty good editors. So the truth is, <laughs> uh, over over the last three or four books, I finish my books down there, and I let them read them before I give them to my publisher. <laughs> and I say, "What do you think? You know, you have any ideas?" Yeah. And they they have some great ideas. So yeah, they they know that I write books, but they have no idea that anybody reads them. Like because I, I don't tell them I don't tell them anything about you know. Uh, you know, so they're really impressed. Just when I bring a hardcover book down, they go, "Wow!" Like somebody printed Mister Mitch's book. Wow, look! You know, they don't have any <laughs> idea that they sell or anything, and that's fine. They don't need to know. You know, but yes, they read them, and uh, they're great editors.
0: Well, I've gotten a chance to meet some of your kids, and they are smart. They are gifted. They are incredible, and I'm so grateful for the work that you have done there and continue to do through your charities and, uh, and and through your writing as well. We're going to take our final break of the day. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Mitch. We're going to give one final lesson when we come back that I think is powerful from uh, the book. We've talked about three of the characters, but there's one that we haven't talked about, this German Nazi soldier, Udo. And uh, what do we do with him? What do we do with people who cause pain in our lives? And how should we think about them I want you to get a copy of of, uh, The Little Liar Mitch Albom's newest book it is a novel that is captivating and I believe will move your heart, your mind your soul and your feet into action go to EquippedRadio.org that's EquippedRadio.org we'll be right back It's our goal to help listeners like you to understand and apply biblical truth to the issues we encounter in our culture, our community, and our home. But we need your help. Will you join our family of Equippers by making an ongoing monthly donation to Equip? When you do, you'll have exclusive access to regular encouragement from me as well as our Equipper webinars and other special offers. Become an Equipper today. Call 888-644-4144 or visit EquipRadio.org. Hey friends, I got good news. We have five complimentary copies of The Little Liar that we want to just get into the hands of a few people. Uh, Now, five aren't many, so here's how we're going to do it. I want you to connect with us on social media. Go to EquipRadio, equipped radio on either Facebook or Twitter. Just let us know you want a copy and why this little book will be important to you. And we are gonna pick five friends and our producer will reach out to you and make sure it gets into your hands. The Little Liar, it's a novel about lies, truth, and the Holocaust and I got a sense that a few of you might want to read it. I really encourage you to do so. Speaking of my producer, she happened to be a, a Jersey girl herself, and she said that uh, city that you uh, were born in uh, was about 10, min- 10 minutes from her, Mitch. Oh. I don't okay. know if well, you still got connections we're all to from New- uh, Jersey. New-
1: yeah, I, I grew up in New Jersey, so uh, you know, we all identify ourselves by what exit off the turnpike we live off of. So <laughs> I was I was exit four. I don't know what you there were
0: There you go. There you go. Well, listen, I, I want to ask what I think might be the toughest question, at least that I've thought about, uh, with the book. What do we do with Udo?
1: Well, Udo is the Nazi who tricks little Nico into telling a lie. Uh, the first lie of his life and Udo, like a lot of Germans at the time, you know, uh, grew up feeling alienated. Uh, some things happened when he was younger and he, he, you know, got angry and bitter. And then along comes this figure, you know, Hitler, who uh, says we can be lifted up and uh, we are a special race and we're superior to everybody else. And we just need to get rid of the inferior people. And then we can realize our destiny and have a thousand-year Reich. We, we rule the world, and he buys into it. And he rises up the ranks and he gets uh, uh, put in charge of first, you know, sending people out and taking their homes and taking their businesses and shipping them off to the concentration camps. And then he gets sent to a concentration camp to be in charge of it. And at first he's put off by the killing that is being done, but very quickly. He like a lot of people during that time, and this is kind of human nature. He gets seduced by the power of it all and becomes a killer himself. And yes. when the war ends, he has to go on the run, and uh, and and has to you know get, leave behind everything that he thought he built up. And he can't believe that his side didn't win. And he ends up in America, uh, as a lot of Nazis did back then. People don't realize that, but America recruited. Nazi uh, officers and 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 officials to help in the fight against the Russians. And they gave them new names and new identities and let them live here and work here. And he ends up here uh, where he is plotting one day to, you know, have the Nazi uh, uh, Nazi revolution take over again. And he's a very hard character to deal with because it's hard to find anything redeeming in him. Uh, But the challenge is. Can you understand why someone like him gets seduced by the notion of, you know, join our group and you'll be special and and look down on others and it'll make you feel better about yourself? And he's the challenging character for all of them to try to understand because he's the cause of so much torture. But isn't that true of real life, Chris? We have people in our lives who we have to deal with that we just don't understand why they're being so mean or why they're, you know, reveling in, in, in making life bad for other people.
0: Well, you know, I, I, the lesson I learned from him is that old saying, hurting people hurt people. And I need to be careful about uh, how I manage and navigate my own pains. And uh, I love right. what you just said. If if my solution to uplifting myself is putting down others, then I got a pretty bad solution. I need to look for something right. else. And that's the lie That has been uh, so pervasive throughout human history that somehow the marginalization, the abuse of others, the mistreatment and oppression of others somehow uplifts some. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're all victims, the abuser and the abused in that scenario. And so Mm -hmm. in our quest for justice, we need to remember the lies that produce this type of inhumanity. I'm so grateful that you reminded us to not forget the Holocaust. And I hope that this conversation in small part will help a new generation to remember that these things can repeat itself if we don't cling to uh, to truth. As I let you yeah. go, Mitch, uh, what, what's your hope for those who read it?
1: Well, I'll I'll wrap up this conversation, which I have enjoyed so much, uh, Chris. You, you did such a great job, and thank you for reading the book so carefully. Um, It's such a pleasure to talk to you and your audience. I I did a lot of research, you know, religious research for this book, even though it's a novel. And I came upon a little parable about truth Mm. that I think says a lot. Uh, It says that when God decided to create man before he made his ultimate decision, he gathered all the angels together to see if they thought it was a good idea. And every angel thought it was. The angel of mercy said, yes, let man be created, for he will do merciful things. The angel of righteousness said, yes, let man be created, for he will be righteous. Only the angel of truth said, no, do not let man be created, for he will lie and, 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 and tell falsehoods. And what did God do? God threw the angel of truth out of heaven and smashed him down on the ground, and I believe did so so that it would smash into a billion little pieces, each of which finds its way into our hearts. And that's where we have to decide, will truth live or die? It's kind of up to us.
0: Wow. What a powerful parable and what a a reminder of this great book. I I so appreciate you, Mitch. Thanks for all you're doing in Haiti, uh, through your writing, and thanks for carving out time to be with us. My guest has been Mitch Album, his newest book, The Little Liar. We can't talk about truth without remembering Statement of Jesus, John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're looking for truth, you can find it in him. And if you want a relationship with him, I would encourage you to call this number. We'd love to talk to you, 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. Thanks to our friends for supporting the program today. If you can stand with us with your generosity, your gifts will make a huge, huge difference. Why don't you dial this number, 888 888- need 644 4144. Go to equipradio.org. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry at Moody Bible Institute.